This is your Drive Time News Blast, 30 minutes jam-packed with up-to-the-minute news from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice every weekday. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Yada, 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 impeachment, yada, yada. I'm going to tell you the few little things that I think are important and real and actual illuminate what's in the headlines, and then I'm moving on. So... Sondland, the EU ambassador Sondland, testified yesterday, depending on what source you look at, he delivered the smoking gun or it was a giant nothing burger or a win for Trump. Basically, though, both the left and the right are saying he delivered a giant smoking gun and only Trump is saying it's a nothing burger or a win. For me, now, admittedly, I did not waste my time listening to every minute of it. I just do not have the time for that. My apologies. So I can only get what I'm getting from the news like everybody else, which it's like an overwhelm tactic. Like there's just so much I really can't keep up on it, even though there is absolutely nothing new in any of this. It seems to all just be fabricated. But the supposed smoking gun was that Sondland did finally admit that Trump wanted something from Ukraine. And I saw that in the texts that I read yesterday. And basically what it seemed like to me was that there were a couple of possibilities. One is that they wanted, it's clear, it was clear that what Sondland said was what they wanted was an announcement that they were going to fight corruption. And I highlighted that immediately. I noticed that immediately. Saliza from CNN said, oh, nobody noticed that. He said all that was needed was an announcement. Saliza is spinning that as meaning just to besmirch the Bidens, knowing that there would be nothing there from a real investigation. But for me, it completely harkened back to this report I read from 2015 of Soros insisting that the government make a show of or a credible display of cleaning up corruption so that Europe would give them billions of dollars to secure Soros's investments. So the the appearance of anti-corruption activity is linked to the money that these guys would be getting to support all our dirty or our oligarchs dirty pool over there dirty dealings and as we know the IMF has fund has suspended aid right now because of corruption issues so it could have been we were just trying to get other people's money flowing again over there if you're talking about a very big picture now one thing, it's hard for me to keep it all, what order to go in, but but one thing could be that Giuliani wanted to get rid of the old boss, replace Biden, wanted a piece of the action, because supposedly Giuliani's machinations over there started in January 2019, but months before Biden announced running, and Biden might have actually decided to run to keep himself in the game, not just to avoid investigation, but to avoid being pushed out by Giuliani, who was stirring it up over there quite possibly because he wanted a piece of that action. It's quite possible because that's how Ukraine works, competing oligarchs, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that would mean that we would want that that aid flowing back through there, not to support Biden and Kerry, but to support Giuliani and his cronies. I'm just speculating what could possibly connect these dots. I will also point out that what Sondland, what might might be an interpretation here is that, yes, they wanted some investigation, but it was about what happened in 2016 to target Manafort, to target the Trump campaign, because 
a good defense is a good offense. So coming into 2020, they would want to be able to say, Russia didn't interfere in 2016 election. Ukraine and Democrats interfered in the 2016 election. The only place where it starts to point to Burisma and the 2020 election is Bill Taylor. Taylor inserts in his text with Sondland, which clearly disturbed Sondland. He didn't agree with it. He thought it was obnoxious. If you go back and read the text, Taylor's the one who inserts that idea. And now Taylor is the one who has, for some reason, copious notes on all this, as if he knew that the, what, that minor phone call with Trump was going to be a big deal. And Sondland has no notes. So it looks like Sondland has no credibility and Taylor has all of the credibility. So in addition, Wall Street Journal is totally playing into these impressions, calling it the Ukraine pressure campaign and uh, and all that. Everybody talks about bribery as if government bribery is when our politicians bribe other people. That's called politics. That's what foreign aid is for, is to get other people to do what you want. That's it. Bribery in the impeachment or treason sense, you accept bribes like Netanyahu did. And he was just charged with uh, bribery. What else is your fraud and breach of trust for a quid pro quo, which I will tell you about in a minute. So, Binkley, that's my impression of the last 24 hours in the impeachment world. Do you have anything to add? I saw a commentator talk about how, how all the initial testimonies leading up to Sondland, that even though they were hearsay, that what they were doing was they were educating the American public about how Trump's behavior, that he engaged with this foreign adversary and asked him to interfere in our political election, is wrong and is not is not acceptable. It seems to me like they're just trying to put all this stuff out there, which is the normal everyday business of politics, and tell the American public, nope, this is not normal, even though it is normal. I totally agree. I was actually going to go back and pull Blagojevich's hidden phone call, like hidden audio, where he just talks about the stuff like Obama knows just like everybody else how this stuff works. Also, the Soros, there were letters. I actually just tweeted a letter that was somehow leaked from Soros that really lays out his plan for Ukraine. It was from 2015. It's pretty shocking. Do that. You can find that at Monica Perez show. But I agree. It's totally the the normal course of events, and they're acting like it isn't. And, of course, if you it's the problem with the Iran-Contra thing, Whitewater, Operation Fast and Furious, Benghazi, all of these things are what both sides do. And the private server, like everything, all of this stuff is what both sides do. So they can't ever, if they really go all the way and start throwing people in jail for this stuff, everybody goes to jail. And what they want to do is not set a precedent so that they can be retaliated against. But maybe that, and I I think it would be great. I think if this old boys club went away and they went tooth and nail, we might be better off. And that's where the Google and Facebook initiatives come in. I'll get to those today also, but I just want to say one last thing on Sondland and the impeachment, which just made me think from that point on his, his testimony is just useless. He, somebody suggested that Sondland said somebody who was on the call or witnessed this, that Sondland said to Trump about Zelensky, he loves your ass. He loves your ass. So they asked Sondland if he said that. And he says, sounds like something I would say. Yeah, sounds I mean, like something I'd say. We talk in a lot of four-letter words, me and the president. Or three, yeah. <laughs> he said. I know. So this guy is saying, like, 
he does he remember that? Does he think that Zelensky loves Trump's ass? Because uh, that's not. I, I mean, why would he think that? Like Zelensky's credibility was at the heart, and from what I could tell, of holding back on the aid till the last minute. So I think a little ask, and I think they they script these these things to some extent. So anyway. I just thought that was kind of ridiculous, and the whole thing's ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous. I do. I did want to just follow up on the Israel thing. I had wondered if Trump was was trying to throw Netanyahu a lifeline by delivering on his recognition of the Israeli settlements in the West Bank being legal, and I do believe that is what he was trying to do. Originally, it was reported this morning. The news I was reading: Netanyahu thrown lifeline. Gantz cannot form government, but the breaking news up to this minute is that Netanyahu was charged on bribery, graft, and uh, fraud and breach of trust because of a quid pro quo, which he, so Netanyahu had a quid pro quo with a telecom tycoon that he would direct, and Netanyahu was the, was the communications minister at that time. I don't know if that was at the same time he was prime minister, but he was in charge of these things. He said he would direct the regulation, telecom regulation, in the direction this guy wanted, which apparently ended up in a gain to that guy of $500 million. Who knows how they measure that? But in return, that guy's media, the telecom tycoon's media outlet, would favor Netanyahu. Real classic quid pro quo. It's being talked about as a quid pro quo. And I would just like to point out that that's what happens when the government has all the power. You want corrupt billionaires freeloading on the on the people's backs? Give the power of regulation and control to governments. I would like to send that message to Elizabeth Warren. Oh, so you saw that she's tired of the billionaires? The freeloading billionaires. Freeloading billionaires, yeah. <laughs> all those billionaires are just freeloaders laying around getting high all day. Yeah, they just they just they're just pickpockets. They yeah. just literally pick pick a billion pockets manually. <laughs> oh wait, no. They use the government's power to do it for them. Yeah. <laughs> or they're not freeloaders. Otherwise they're actually providing the, the they're getting money in the fair way. Which Creating is voluntary. Jobs, working hard. Yeah, I mean, the only way, like when, when the conservative welfare state, as Irving Crystal called it, forces you to buy health insurance and insurance is highly regulated so that very few companies can enter that field, that's a freeloading billionaire. You know, anybody who gets rich that way because he got a license to do something the government highly controls, that's that could result in freeloading billionaires. But just people sc- scrumming it in the in the corners to sell a better Q-tip. Well, that's probably Johnson and Johnson. I would say they, they've got their government connections too. It's like a the billionaire gets, that lives on yeah. your futon, a freeloading billionaire. <laughs> you can really make a lot of money that way. Yeah. Uh, so what else happened in the debate? Could you stomach it? I watched it. I don't know what I was watching. I feel like I was watching Nothing. I feel like I was staring into the void of irrelevance and underwhelming performances. It was – I don't know what anybody gains out of these debates at this point. I, I get what they're trying to do with public opinion and everything, but these people aren't saying anything different. They aren't debating. It's like 
It's like debate practice at a community center. (laughs) Klobuchar started shaking a little bit at one point. I don't think it was outrageous as other people thought. She made the the first Stacey Abrams appeal that I noticed. She made Mm -hmm. the – I was thinking about doing a a game where you take a shot every time somebody says that Stacey Abrams would be the rightful president or uh, governor uh, of Georgia, which Stacey – or Klobuchar went ahead and made that appeal right away to Stacey Abrams – and it was funny. She was actually definitely appealing to Abrams on multiple levels because shortly after that, she goes, hey, I raised $17,000 from ex-boyfriends, which is a type what? of thing that Stacey Abrams says all the time. She talks about her ex-boyfriends and all this and how she still – Stacey so, Abrams? All the time. In all of her interviews, she always makes those references so she can seem like she's single and she's had these – it's a very, like, I'm a relatable thing. And Klobuchar did the same thing, but it sounded kind of odd to me because either one boyfriend really still loves her a lot or she's had a lot, <laughs> a lot of ex-boyfriends. And each one only gave less than $5. Like a do- yeah, yeah, a dollar apiece. <laughs> You know, they always brag about that. Like, the average donation was $5. Yeah, oh, so yeah, Stacey yeah. Abrams, did she come out as being straight? She's been talk. She's been talking about her boy ex boyfriends for a long time, but okay. ex boyfriends. We don't, you don't know what Stacey Abrams is from when she reformed. She yeah. is presumed to be straight, but the way she talks about things opens the door for maybe. I think that's on purpose for her intersectional image. Maybe she'll say she has not yet chosen a gender or an identity. Yeah, maybe she's bi. You know, she's having. No, maybe um, she's like three ways. Quadri. The Georgia, do what? <laughs> you know, maybe she's quadri. You know, maybe she's got like multiple genders. Like she's maybe she's going to break the the uh, the barrier of just being LGBT or Q. She's going to be all of them. She's going to be like some, you know, 56th gender or something. Like she's her major be... in high school where she t- did a whole bunch of different things or Yeah, college. she's a physics, acting, history, whatever. I mean, that just shows you. I mean, that just explains Neil deGrasse Tyson right there. Yeah. <laughs> the, the acting and physics nexus. It's like the guy <laughs> was born for the media, you know? Yeah. And he's in there. He's in there with Snowden. He's in there with Rogan. It's so weird to me. So Biden so... flubbed a lot. Oh, oh my gosh. Again, was it obviously. Like obvious? Was it Yeah, it was pretty obvious. Obvious. Ugh. And Yeah, it was underwhelming. The bumbling billionaire. He's going to be a billionaire. Is he? Well, add another one to the list of Democrats running for presidents that are white male billionaires. Yeah, but he's only ever been in government service. Yeah. My favorite part of the debate, I think, was Andrew Yang, he never gets any time to talk really. So he got like a few seconds to talk. Um, it's like one of his few times to say something to the American people. And he was asked, what would be the first thing that you would say to Putin when you became president? And he quipped, hey, sorry I beat your guy. You know, Trump's – sorry arc, I beat arc. Putin's guy. Yeah. But then he goes – then they were like, you have uh, like 20 seconds or 10 seconds or something like that. And he goes, um, I would tell Russia to fall in line with the world order. Wow, really? Yeah, that was his message. He said that? He did. Wow. Because uh, I did hear the part about him saying, sorry, be your guy. Yeah. But in, and that was in the journal. I think I read it in the journal. Yeah, well, it was shortly after And they left that, that part out. Yeah. That was the memorable That's really part to me. interesting. I, 
Nacho Slave tweeted a video at me. Maybe I mentioned this. I don't know. Rosa Quare, Quare, K-O-I-R-E. Have you ever heard of this woman? No. She wrote the Behind the Green Mask, <laughs> which I just ordered. But, like, I think that's obviously a takeoff. I think she's from San Francisco, you know, Behind the Green Door. What's was Behind the... the Green Mask? Do you know what Behind the Green Door was? No. Behind the Green Door was was the uh, groundbreaking or or regulation-busting porno that was in the Farrelly Brothers Theater in San Francisco when Diane Feinstein was the mayor of San Francisco trying to keep the porn out. And Farrelly Brothers played behind the green door. I think that's the story. So this chick made a book behind the green mask, but it's about Agenda 21. And she also runs Democrats Against Agenda 21. She runs the, geez, what's the name of her organization? Shoot. Uh, it's actually worth my looking it up. The Post Sustainability Institute. And what she talks about, she talks about how all the systems in the whole world have to be normalized, like made the same. Like she's talking about getting people to live in the cities, but she explains very clearly why like everything from, from like zoning regulations to healthcare to everything needs to have all the same rules all around the world. I used to think it's like, I thought of it as a cog, like everything should fit together, go in the same speed. But she's really talking about so all the regulations can come down at once so like a small group of people can control the entire world. And that just like had everything fall in line for me in my mind about what that this association agreement that Ukraine signed with the EU that they they ran Yanukovych out of town for not signing. And it had like 500 points, including like real nitty gritty about about smoking regulations and health and everything. So while I was investigating Ukraine over the day, last day or two, just to see the latest, I found that one of the latest things was like this this uh, public-private maybe symposium on bringing Ayurvedic yoga to Ukraine, and it absolutely what kind smacked of yoga? Ayurvedic, Ayurvedic A Y U. What is E-D-I-C, I think. But yoga, just basically, you know, whatever, the current trends in yoga, that's one of them. And they talk about, so it just totally spoke to me about one of those, or those weird bullets I was reading, bullet points I was reading in the association agreement with the EU. And it made me realize, like, Rosa Quare's words rang in my ears that, like, every single system, no matter how small, needs to conform And it's like the way they're doing medical records these days. Doctors don't want it. They want it to write their files and keep them in their, in their, in their file cabinets. They really don't like it. It slows them down. It interferes with service, but it centralizes everything. It centralizes the data. It makes it um, crunchable. It makes it accessible. And now of course, Google is using that, that, that doctors have spent years in putting into the system. They're using it and selling it through Project Nightingale, and they're doing some other stuff too, but I will let Who you react to Who are they selling it to? That. Insurance Google? companies? Google is, has a joint partnership with uh, Ascension, which is the second largest healthcare network in the country yeah. with like hospitals and stuff. 
And they're taking the data that all the patient data and they're just keeping it open to be able to sell to people for targeting, maybe ad targeting or whatever. And it's funny because they just banned political ad targeting that was in the newspaper today that they're not going to, they're going to let, they're going to ban political targeting so that you can't use search data against somebody. So like, if, uh, I think it was called, it's, hmm, browsing, browsing history or search history. They're not going to let you use that to target ads with specificity. And that means that the only ads are going to be like your generic kind of two-party broad-based ads instead of candidates or parties that can really target individuals more specific concerns so i think this is definitely something that helps the democrats and the republicans they said they can they will continue to allow targeting based on on public voter roles so i guess they have your registration information by name i mean that's what i inferred i know but they're also going to fact check and take people down who persistently make false statements. So, and this what, came what out could, today. Yes, what could go wrong there? They are going to make the decision on. They're going to fact check and censor and curate based on their determination of political truth. I was watching a think tank last night, which we're going to play clips from in the propaganda report that we do later, where they were talking about this and they were talking about Facebook because they are not bound by the First Amendment, they need to up their restrictions on how they remove people from the platform, and they need to make their restrictions adhere to what the UN standards are. Wow. That is completely this Rosa Quare thing. It totally. And uh, Facebook said they're not going to do that fact-checking, but they are going to prohibit voter suppression in all ads. They're going to prohibit voters. How are ads suppressing voters? That's interesting because that's a Stacey Abrams thing that she's doing in the country right now. I don't know. How's an ad? Yeah. I don't know. And, uh, yeah, so that's really interesting. And, of course, Google and Facebook both have deep, deep roots in the government. And and you can look at it and you can say, well, how do you know? Well, we know because Google, I mean, so many articles have been written about it by insiders. For what reason? I do not know why that stuff gets to come out. I guess so they can control. They figure it's going to come out. They got to control it. Facebook, I think it's pretty obvious as well. But the fact that these are monopolies where they would not, a monopoly just would not exist in a free market in the, in those worlds. I think there's just, now they have the networking effect, but even beyond that, I feel like it's very hard for like a gab to compete with Twitter. DuckDuckGo seems to be making a go of it against Google. I think that's great. <laughs> Let's see. Right. Don't you think? Make it a go. I mean, it's not, it's not as bad. As, it's not as uh, attacked as gab. Yeah. Even though it may be even more powerful because it lets you actually search the internet. Yeah. But there should be more competition, I think, and there isn't. And I think that's just kind of They're eliminating it across the board. Yes. And and this is how this is my problem with like the public private partnership 
getting the default condition of being private. So maybe it should get the default position as being public. So I was talking about the human rights industry. They don't get the same scrutiny or have to have the same rules as like a government welfare program, even though it responds purely to a government-created need and mandate and lives purely on government money. So they should have the same standards and scrutiny as the government, but they don't because they're considered an NGO. And I feel that way about big tech and everything else. If it's if it's going to be benefit from a contract from the government, revenue from the government, a mandate from the government, any of that, it should have to respect the constraints that we put on government. I think. I mean, I have to. Maybe there's a flaw in that reasoning, but I don't think so. Yeah, that's interesting. That this think tank they talked a whole lot about how to stem disinformation, and they were speaking to a lot of what you just said in Facebook's role, specifically Facebook, Instagram, because that's where the, especially Instagram, they say Instagram's going to be where the fake news comes next or where it already is. It's going to be more prominent, and the, the social media networks, ha- they need to take control of them because they can do what the government can't because they're not bound by that First Amendment. I mean, they were very, very sick. direct in what they were yeah. saying, too, about this. There, I mean, it's just giving... It's just saying that controlling speech is a public good. Yeah. Do you but, remember, I mean, right. the flaw is who's in the power. Yeah, exactly. Do you remember that guy? There's a clip from a few months ago that went around. He used to work in government. I can't. His name slips my mind right now. But he said, I used to work in government. Propaganda is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It was at a Council on Foreign Relations think tank, I believe. Yeah. Well, that this is the same guy. Oh, he's really? About this, yeah. Wow, yeah. I mean, they're true believers, but they're completely wrong. And as another example of how, like, I, going back to the the Netanyahu thing and the Democrat debate, GM is suing Chrysler, Fiat Chrysler, for bribing labor leaders to give them a better deal. So I, Quid I totally. Pro quo? Yes. And I I agree with I guess I guess a quid pro quo now that I look at the Netanyahu thing, it's it is a bribe, but it's it's like kind of like a bribe in kind. You know what I mean? Like they traded something. Yeah. The UAW thing, I think they just bribed the guys. But of course, I'm totally fine with labor unions as a way for labor to organize uh, voluntarily. That's totally fine. But when they get all this power and then they sell out their constituents, I think they do it. I think this is a very straightforward case of them just doing it for personal gain. But I think in the past, they may have, like with the dock workers, deliberately sabotaged the dock workers by getting getting them contracts that could not be sustained in the face of new technology and then making it look like it was the dock workers' greedy fault to drive their industry out of this country and be replaced by container ships and then like sub-containers and all that, which was a great improvement in efficiency, but I feel like there are examples where the, the the labor unions looked like they were doing the right thing by getting crazy exorbitant contracts, but in the end drove the host into bankruptcy, leaving the industry, the labor, without an industry. So I just feel like when you get central power, you get... It should be centralized power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, it's built to do that. 
the checks and not yes. the checks and balances in, in a bad way. The the compromise, the way they compromise, as they call it in Russia. Yes, yes. The uh, that Albert J. Nock is a great book for that. The enemy, our enemy, the state. May, might you, for our friend of the show who wants us to actually write down our enemy, the, the state. Books, our enemy, the state, by Albert J. Nock. As a matter of fact. I did a really great review of that book. I'll send you the link after the show, and you can put it in the show notes if you All don't right. mind. I'd appreciate that. Uh, okay, so I also I feel like our eyes are on this impeachment thing. It is such a – it's so ridiculous. I don't care about it. They're, they, there's nothing, and they're not even bringing out evidence. It's just a bunch of people saying what they think and being wrong and whatever. So this is it distracting us. From what it's not about, my kids are not bad litmus tests for what's really going on in the in the world. Like they they're very sensitive to emotion, to emotional states, and to propaganda and stuff. Not like yeah. alert to it and they're, trendy talking point memes. Yeah, they can they'll 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 regurgitate. Like my daughter said, "Okay, boomer to me," and I knew it was coming. And didn't Sanders trot it out? Oh no! I that was that a was joke. a joke. He oh my really gosh, that. that's so funny! I completely. Oh my gosh, maybe I'm the gullible one. I tweeted out a picture from the debate of Sanders looking like he was kind of pointing at Biden. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. I, I saw know, it. I'm, it was hilarious. The, the oh yeah, sorry. And, uh, <laughs> I captioned it. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay boomer. <laughs> it was truly hilarious. Even when I thought it was real, it's even funnier knowing that it was just. Uh, your humor. I really like that. <laughs> anyway, so, well, whatever. It's a trend. So, okay, so unrest around the world. I, I feel like in, in every place we're seeing unrest, you can you can find the U.S. footprint there. I think Elliot Abrams is probably in charge of a lot of it. But when I see it, what I see is two possible. So you have Bolivia, Iran, Hong Kong. Then there's a whole bunch of other ones. Iraq, Lebanon, Venezuela, Chile. What to watch out for? I'm sure they're coming to Hungary. Hungary. But these guys, so these places where the protests are, and in Bolivia, there's a coup. So in Bolivia, they our guys ran the president out. He's taking refuge in Mexico. I wonder if Mexico will get punished for that. And he's being accused of making trouble from Mexico. He's the legitimately elected governor, uh, president of Bolivia. Maybe there was irregularities in the voting. I don't know. We have irregularities in our voting. We need to mind our own business. But the Iran, same thing. We put in sanctions. Sanctions drove up f- fuel prices. We promoted pro- protests, and the Iranian government cracked down hard, hard, and they shut down the internet. They, we say they shut down the internet to keep people from coordinating. I think they shut down the internet to keep us from information operations that we're conducting over there. So, That's a possibility. Yeah, all this stuff is happening while we're paying attention to the impeachment and then Hong Kong, the, uh, the house, our house followed up on the Senate vote yesterday by voting in favor of the Hong Kong human rights and democracy act, which as I hinted at or explained yesterday and is reflected in the Chinese reaction, I think it was the foreign minister said, you are picking up rocks, boulders to drop on your own feet. 
<laughs> so, and Mitch McConnell called out to all trading nations to similarly punish Hong Kong. So maybe this is a backdoor to just increase sanctions on China because Hong Kong was a backdoor to China having special trading status. And this will eliminate the special trading status and bring Hong Kong closer to China. But then it will be easier for us to say Hong Kong is part of China and just punish the whole big place. I mean, there's a chance that's what's going on, but it's hard to tell. And I feel like there's two possibilities for all these simultaneous uprisings and stuff that we're fomenting. One is we've got people's eyes off the ball. And if these countries take our coups or whatever, that's great. We're happy with that. We have controlled regimes. If they don't, we're not afraid of failed states anymore. Uh, Ever since Soviet Union was not a competing superpower, we still say Russia and China, maybe they are reemerging as a problem, but we will accept it's possible that the civil unrest in itself is fine for us because it points to what we would like to say is an inevitability towards world war as we foment it in every corner. Like Ukraine is a place where we are intentionally escalating against Russia, even though nobody else really wants that. F the EU, you know, nobody else really wants it. So I feel like, I mean, I think things are getting a little crazy. I think they are too. I think another aspect of it is contagion. The world is getting smaller. We're all getting more connected, which means what people are doing in other parts around the world that we would never see before are easily accessible for us. And yeah, actually, so, it's happening here, too. Yeah, they were talking about that in this think tank, too, about how you can see in these search algorithms that they were talking about that when something happens here, the search rates from people in other countries like Venezuela or wherever, they are finding information. They're finding demonstrations of what's going on here just as we are of what's there. Now, maybe that's propaganda, and it's things are being put in front of us for certain reasons. I'm sure it is, but – it is easier to find someone else around the world that also is oppressed and is lashing out than it has ever been before. You can do it in an instant. You can find an example of what to do, and you can find inspiration. And they define what oppression is. I mean, nobody here is hungry. Yeah. I mean, they say they do documentaries on people having hunger here, but I'm telling you, our redistribution redistribution of wealth means that the minimum – I've done the math on this many times. Like every single – there's a, no question every single man, woman, and child on, in this country could live well on the taxes that we allocate to redistributing wealth and the cronyism of defense. You got to take some of that back too, but maybe not, not even, not even really. So you can tell people they're oppressed and get them mad, especially if they don't have jobs <laughs> and they can, right, they have untapped energy. And they, yes. and that can, I mean, it, you could psychologically, like people get depressed when they're not productive. So yeah. you put people on welfare, then tell them that their feelings of discontent or self-loathing is somebody else's fault. Exactly. And then g- give them something to do. And they pay, like they and used to pay it. people to do Occupy Wall Street. Yeah, and they'll do it. And the people who are benefiting from these protests... In many ways, are the people organizing or organizing them, the people in power, because they, they are cash cows also. They're raising so much money for these people that are organizing. It is a hot time to be a community organizing <laughs> activist in the world. Yeah. 
GoFundMe, baby. GoFundMe. That's going to be a career. What do you do? I do GoFundMe. <laughs> Give me money. I'm hungry. Here. <laughs> you guys can find begging. your drive time news blast every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. on thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Monica, did you have something else? Did I? Yeah, I thought you, I thought you said something there. I don't know if you had something else you wanted to say. Nope, just that I think tomorrow we're going to put up a propaganda report. We are. We're going to be recording that tonight, and you can look for that tomorrow. Talk to you later.